Welcome to weekly messages from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. Find out more at gracewaydc.com. In previous episodes, Joseph passed the dream test, the pit test of disappointment, and the test of duty to Potiphar. Now he confronts the test of purity in the face of desire. Joseph will pass this test only by submitting to God his look and lust, learning to live in sanctification. God gives us grace to live the same way today. Here's our message from Pastor Brad Wells called Devoting Our Desire. studying the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. And if you would, turn with me to chapter number 39. Chapter number 39 is the great story of Joseph uh, being sold into slavery and being bought by Potiphar, who's a very connected man, captain of the guard, uh, there with the Pharaoh. And uh, last, well, last week, uh, General Tyker uh, preached to us. And the week before that, uh, we went through those first six verses and we talked about uh, slavery and how God can even use some of the worst situations in somebody's life. And God's man, Joseph, God allowed his man, Joseph, to go into slavery under Potiphar and he was sold there at the auction block and and God still used this to build up his man. The, the real lesson there was, was that of duty. God calls us to be doers and to be active. And when we are active and we are doing things and looking past the bosses that we have, looking right through them to see God on the other side, uh, God can use us in a powerful, powerful way. Now, verse number seven comes as another blow to Joseph. Uh, these are the, the lessons, the testing that he has to learn, and we are applying it directly to our lives. Really, this series came from one of our Sunday night leadership classes, and I was talking to uh, some of our young men, and I talked about um, when God has something for you to do, and God always has a reason for creation. God created you for a specific task. He's got to test you and build you up. And so there is the prosperity test. There's the bully test. There is the bribery test. Today is the seduction test. And Potiphar's wife is a lady that has set her eyes on this man of God, Joseph, and she desires him. And this is extremely applicable to each one of us today. We live in an oversexed society, and society is, is aware of the huge problem of sexual frustration. And so in an attempt to help people, and I think it's an attempt to help people by the majority of people, um, I believe that they're creating a, a greater problem. And um, so uh, people become very, very um, aware of their sexuality, which 
was not given by the devil. It was not given by the world or society. It is a gift from God. So today's title is Devoting Our Desires. Last time we talked about servile duty. And this, this week we're talking about sexual desire. Now, Joseph was 11 years a slave in Potiphar's house. And probably the last six months or so of his 11 years, he was no longer treated as a slave, but he was really treated as a very distinguished and honorable young man. And the attack that the devil will put on each one of us with our desires is usually not coupled with terrible things, but coupled with blessings and good things. And God had blessed Joseph. The Bible declares that he was a goodly man, which means he was a handsome man. And he was well favored. God liked Joseph, and it seems like everybody liked Joseph. And there are certain temptations that come with every single blessing. This is a blessing, but he is going to have to learn how to devote his desire. Now, anger is an emotion and a temptation for those that focus on the past. Fear and anxiety is an emotion and a temptation for those that focus on the future. But constant trouble is what those people will feel that work by compulsion without following strict discipline. And I believe that God wants us to move past the shallowest part of our being, which is emotion into the inner sanctum of our heart, our core, which is discipleship, becoming not just a Christian, but a disciple of Christ and setting aside how I feel and what I feel and doing our duty. So today we're going to get into this discussion of devoting our desire. We started with a dream showing God's design, followed by disappointment in the pit that revealed God's direction, duty in Potiphar's house, and now desire. Now let me cut right to the chase here that all of this started not with love, but the counterfeit for love, which is lust. Love is the most wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But love is actually quite rare. Love is built on sacrifice and devotion. Lust is not built on sacrifice. Lust can be built on manipulation. Lust can be built on um, all sorts of things that none of us like. So with that, Genesis 39 and verse number 7 launches us into our text and it came to pass after these things, that is 11 years of, or at least 10 and a half years of slavery and drudgery, that his, Joseph's master's wife, 
cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. This was an invitation. This was a seduction. This was attractive to Joseph, no doubt. Think of Joseph. He's been rejected. Um, He's been sold. He's been mistreated, mishandled. He's had everything against him. Probably in his heart there has been uh, struggles with uh, resentment, with anger towards pretty much everyone. And now here's an opportunity to get back on uh, to the man that bought him. Although right now it's good, but resentment can go way back. But look what happens here. Verse number eight, but he what? Say that word. Come on a little bit louder. But he, he refused. How did that happen? And God is going to allow us to go through this temptation. God will allow you and me to go through this temptation. Why would God do that? Because God's building Joseph for something bigger. God's building you for something greater. You were made for something greater than lust. You were made for love. And love is sacrifice. And love is a wonderful, beautiful thing. But in order to get to love, you must refuse lust. But how do we do that? How can somebody refuse lust? He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, and here's a word for you, wadeth not what is with me in the house. And that means... More than just, my master doesn't know what's in the house. And it means that. But he doesn't need to know. He doesn't need to know. It is a a word that shows incredible trust. My master completely trusts me. And he's wise to do that. And he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. And verse number nine. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. At this point, we need to realize that we will be entrusted. You will be entrusted. And that entrustment is a test for things greater. And you need to not settle. Don't you settle for something that God hasn't given you. Don't settle. Joseph's not saying, I'm going to cash in my chips now. I've got enough. And I'm going to start working on resentment. And it wasn't just an intellectual, I don't mean to say it was an intellectual thing. That resentment and that lust, which is the where we're getting to, was not even in his heart. Because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, this shows something in the midst of temptation. And temptation is when the present situation eclipses God. The present situation eclipses and pushes out the presence of God. So when I'm tempted to steal or to lie or to lust, or to laziness, and I am just as you are, that temptation pushes away God. 
The only way I can overcome temptation, no matter what it is, is to practice the presence of God. And here's Joseph. He's practicing the presence of God. Now, maybe this is the first um, attempt. I believe it is. She's looking. Lust has uh, come to her, and she is inviting uh, this slave boy, Joseph, our hero, into this circle, and he brings up his master, indirectly brings up her, but the greatest foundation for him resisting and for you overcoming is God. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God was with Joseph even in slavery. God was with Joseph in temptation. And how could Joseph do this? He couldn't do it because he was well aware of God. Let's look at the next verse, verse number 10. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. So this wasn't just a one-time attempt. This was every day. And he's, he's living there in the house. Maybe there's servants' quarters, or, or, or maybe he's been promoted out of the slave quarters to the servants' quarters. Out of the, maybe he's got a room in the house. We don't know exactly. But somehow she has access to Joseph every day, day by day, that, and say this next phrase with me, he hearkened not unto her. He didn't listen to her. He didn't allow those barbs and that hook to get set in his life. Why? What was going on? To lie by her or to be with her. He wasn't tempting fate. He wasn't trying to be around her. He's doing his work. He's, um, uh, he, by the way, he's not getting benefit from this work. He's working as a slave. He owns nothing. Everything that prospers is his master's, and, he, and he's doing this work. And somehow she's coming in, trying to be with him. And listen, he had the same desires that you have and I have. The first and primary desire that all of God's uh, children have, humanity has, number one is to breathe. Right? That's our natural, we need to breathe. And then secondly is to drink. We need to drink. And then thirdly is to eat. And then fourth has to do with recreation, and that's that sexual desire. And sexual desire is not a wrong thing. Sexual desire is a gift from God, and it is to be in the confines of biblical marriage. You can't redefine the boundaries. You can't live outside the boundaries. You can't create a society that has other ideas and complete acceptance and all of these experiments are being done by our society today and have been done by numerous other societies. But he did not hearken. I love Joseph. He's a kind of, oh my goodness. Verse number 11. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and, and there was none of the men of the house there within. Uh-oh, he's alone. Verse number 12. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. This is the secret. God will provide a way of escape. 
The Bible says this in the New Testament numerous times, flee fornication. And fornication is that word that we get our word from pornography, pornea, that has anything to do with sexual immorality. Now, Every one of us has sexual desires, and sexual desire is not wrong, it's right. We must understand that. It does not belong to the devil. It does not belong to society. It belongs to God, and it needs to be confined and protected. It is a holy thing. It is a wonderful thing. Marriage is holy matrimony. Sex is holy sex. And the devil, I believe, uh, tries to attack us, you and me, and all of humanity on that ground. Our recreative process. The innermost part of our being is way down inside of us. But anyways, he didn't mess around. He didn't try to do this or that. He didn't try to reason. He didn't say, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's pray about this. I got this one verse from uh, the pastor the other day. No, he's like, gone. Flee youthful lust. And got him out. Verse number 13. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth. And verse number 14 that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. And he came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And then that's a half-truth. By the way, if you want to tell a good lie, you've got to have some truth in there. Not that I'm promoting lying. Verse 16. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. That's interesting. She held on to it, kept it. She spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. So look at this lie that she is spinning in this web. And number one, it has some truth in it. Number two, she already got everybody else in on it. And last, uh, her husband here. And verse number 19, and it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, after this manner did thy servant to me. See, she's putting pressure on him that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Here, Joseph, God's man, is accused of attempted rape. This is God's man, and God's hand is upon Joseph. But yet, God is going to use this evil and this embarrassing thing, and how could this be worse? It's all part of God's plan, and God is saying, I want to use this 
to build the man that will take care of the world. And God wants to use you. So as we get into this, I have too much to give you today. So I know that the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. So we're going to split this message in two sessions. I'm going to go ahead and give you the secret to overcoming lust today. This lesson has helped me and will help you. And pastors and preachers have, have given this message and this lesson for thousands of years. It's a tremendous lesson. I'm so privileged and honored to present it to you today, something that has kept me as a young man clean, that somehow the, the Lord allowed me to, to, to meet my beautiful wife, and we were married, and we came together clean, and the Lord has blessed us and given us a good marriage and a good life. And, and realize this, that God is not trying to take sex from you. He's trying to keep sex for you. It is God's plan, but you must do it God's way. Father, we come before you, this potentially awkward subject. Uh, Lord, help it not to put anyone off, but help us to be uh, drawn into your presence. And Lord, we pray that your word uh, would be the light to our life today. We're so thankful for the fall season and all the wonderful smells and food and, and colors and uh, just the beauty of creation. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. Lord, illuminate our lives through your word. And Lord, we will honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our first verse was verse number seven, and I want you to just see that all of this happened through the casting of the eyes. Um, she's looking, and this look quickly develops into lust. In Psalms 101 and verse number three, the Bible says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now, this is absolutely key because wicked things before your eye will turn you aside. It'll turn me aside. You say, well, you, you've been following the Lord, you're a disciple. I mean, uh, you're a pastor. Oh, no. If I set something wicked before mine eyes, I mean fast. It's going to turn me aside and it will start to cleave to me. It'll start to stick to me. It will become the contagion that starts to contaminate my life. Now, just think about this. If, if you have a vessel, a, a cup, a plate, if you've got a pitcher, you've got something and it's clean and you've made sure it's nice and clean. Maybe not sterile, but it's, it's nice and clean. But then if it is exposed to any sort of contaminant, it can be ruined very, very quickly, and that contagion will get in. So it is with your and my life. We need to be absolutely careful. Uh, wherever I go, what I watch, where I work, what I do, I need to remember that I can be contaminated. Now, lust is the thing, and lust gets in the heart. But how does lust get in the heart? 
And this verse gives us the, the clue here. It comes in through the eye gate. Now, your heart is the soul, is the center of your kingdom. And your five senses are the gates into man's soul. And as you use and exercise those senses, it expands your world. And we have a God-given desire to expand our world. We don't want to live in such a tiny little world. But the problem is we have an enemy, and that enemy is going to use that, that good desire to grow and to develop and to know more, and he's going to use that against us to where we learn all the wrong things. And so there's all sorts of programs and classes and with great names like early development. And that's good, unless it's bad. And early development for sexual things, I think, is one of the greatest problems in our nation today. And we'll get to that because where will it go? Where, where does sexual desire go? Well, it's for creation. It's, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Next week, I'm going to give you the five or six elements why God has created. But right now, we're going to talk about how to stay away from lust. I'm saying that to contain myself here, okay? There is a desire that I have, that you have, that each one of us has to look. Proverbs 27 and verse number 20 says, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And this is the gateway to lust. How does lust happen in a Christian? How does lust happen in a child? I mean, in a good home. Well, you need to understand lust is like fire. And so you can have a little flame of fire, a little tiny match, and you can have uh, a great big fire, and you can have a forest fire, and you can have a, a city fire, and the whole city burns down. Lust is very much like that. Now, as I did some research on, on lust and sexual problems, I was aware that most murderers and rapists, and all these other terrible things that I don't even want to talk about, have had immense sexual frustrations and early exposure. And it often happened with devout people, like religious people. And, and it's a terrifying thing. And here's the problem. When... When you are exposed to sexual things, you have really a choice of three things. The first one is expression, sexual expression. And so you see something, lust develops, and you start to express it. And that's basically the ex social experiment that we are living in in America today. Free sexual expression. If you feel it, Express it. 
As a matter of fact, if you feel it, demand that everybody else has to acknowledge that. If you feel like a woman, you say, I'm a woman, and everyone else has to use the right pronouns to fit not physical qualifications or ramifications, but to follow your uh, feelings and perceptions. Now, don't think this experiment has never been done before. Many societies have done this in the past, and they have all failed. By the way, there's only one way, and his name is Jesus. You have to go God's way. Every other way seems right unto man, but the end thereof is ruin and disaster. So even looking has a lust to it, but lust seats itself in the heart as it comes through the eyes. Now there's two elements to look. Generally, men wrestle with and desire uh, to look, and generally women wrestle with and the desire with the desire to get a look. Now, in our story today with Joseph, it's opposite. Joseph is working, he's getting the looks, and she's desiring to look, whatever. But that's generally uh, not the way it works. Now, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 16, I've got a few verses here. Actually, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. I have eight verses that I want to give to you in this line of succession, and hopefully this will help you uh, and as it's helped me. 1 John 2 and verse number 16, looking with lust really is a great sin. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so these are the three great categories of sin, and they must be overcome. If you don't overcome these, you will have trouble around every corner and there will be problems. Now, every one of us has struggles, so don't feel, oh, I'm the only one here. No, no. Everyone has struggled with lust. Everyone. Matter of fact, let's do a quick social experiment here. Quick test. How many of you would say, I have struggled with lust in my life? Would you raise your hand? The rest that don't raise their hand, we might have to. I have struggled with lying. Okay, deception. But This is a common sin. Listen, we're all painted with the same brush. We're all made from the same clay. And this is to help us. This is from heaven to help us. And Christ didn't come to condemn us. He came to rescue us. And that's what all this is about. It's the, there is a lust of the eyes to look. And there, that lust goes into the heart and begins to grow, and there's no end to its growing. Um, the statistics on horrible websites is overwhelming. I was going to present some of that, those facts, and then I'm not even sure they're facts. I'm like, what in the world? I didn't even know there's this many people. There's the, it's overwhelming. It's unbelievable. This is a major problem. And if you are going to live for God, you must understand lust will grow in your heart like crazy, whether you're a Christian or not, if you look. And so if you're going to win this battle, 
you must stop looking and you must stop trying to get looks. Uh, Matthew 5, 27, 28, and 29. Jesus says this. You have heard that uh, it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, sexual sin uh, being played out. Okay, that's wrong. And Joseph won the victory over that. And Jesus said, you heard about that. And everybody's like, yeah. Verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. There's a few things there that it's just kind of shocking. Number one, that God considers it a sin to look with lust. Now, obviously, you are going to notice attractive people, and that's not a sin. That's not a sin. That They're an attractive person. She's a beautiful woman. Uh, God, uh, they're a handsome man. Uh, that, that's not a sin. That's, that's okay. That's all right. The problem is, is that maybe it's that second or third look. It's actually, uh, one of I heard a pastor say that when I was a kid. Now, the problem is that first look can be a kind of a long look there before we get to that second look. Uh, so you know who you are. You know how you think. So don't enter into this. The second element, Jesus doesn't say rape. He says, with. In other words, there's attraction here going on. So we must be aware that we can attract the wrong sort of look. And we will be held accountable before God on judgment day. This is, this is mind-blowing. Verse number 29. <laughs> Jesus, how serious are you about this? And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Well, okay, and cast it from thee. It's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And Jesus is saying, this is a serious thing. Uh, you must, in order to stop lust growing in your heart, you've got to stop looking. And we live in a society, I didn't bring my phone up here with me, that is connected. You've got your phone here. You've got your laptop there. You've got your computer at work. You've got your iPad over there. And, and then we got public computers. And then our government is saying every child needs a computer. I heard one uh, public official say in a, in a grand speech with much applause, it wasn't even had to be, didn't even have to be cued. It's time to clap now. And they said, every child from the earliest of ages needs a laptop and access to the internet. There are things there that they will never learn in the home that they need exposed to. And I went, well, uh, uh, wow. And then you read the statistics at what websites are accessed, by who, when, and how often, and it's unbelievable. People, we need to get serious about this, as serious as, as Joseph, and running out. We need to get aggressive and not say this is, no, this is a non-issue. This is a major issue. This is at the core of our being. It's right after air, water, and food. This is something, and it's a good thing, but it must be calibrated and put in the right place. That was Matthew 5, now Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22 says this. 
The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And that's not referring to being married. <laughs> it's talking about uh, what you're focusing on. What are you focusing on? See, the light is the, the eye is the window to the soul. And the unique thing about light is it, it hues or colors everything that's there. We just change the light, which in here to kind of these fall colors, and it, it changed the hue and it changed the mood. And, and all of a sudden, um, you know, people that didn't like coffee, they want to start being introduced to, you know, cinnamon lattes and, and this sort of thing. Now, coffee drinkers are absolutely appalled with this, but those are hardened, ardent caffeine consumers. The rest of people that are just newbies, they all start drinking coffee in the fall because they smelled cinnamon and cloves and you know what I'm talking about here. How many of you are like, none of that pumpkin spice stuff, all right? How many of you are like that? Okay. <laughs> so listen, the, um, the, the light of the body is the eye. So what you're bringing in to your soul comes in through the eye and the other gates, ears and and all the different senses. But this one is very unique because you can focus on the wrong thing. But if you focus on the right thing, your whole life, your whole body will be filled with light. But the next verse, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is thy darkness, is that darkness. In other words, what we look at fills our life, and affects all that we do. If you've let in blue light, it produces this, or yellow light, or white light, or this color light, or whatever. Whatever you bring into your life is going to fill you. It's going to grow. I love to study the Bible uh, with Christian music playing, but it often distracts me, so I don't do it that much because I become submitted to it. My favorite thing is when Deborah is practicing uh, music and the kids are playing and getting ready uh, to worship. Not, I don't mean practicing regular songs. That does not help anybody under God's heaven. However, preparing to worship, preparing to to sing and praise God, that makes an incredible difference. And I mean, my life is filled with worship and that's my favorite time. How great is the light? How great is the darkness? So what are you focusing on? What are you looking at? What is the algorithm of your social media look like? I guarantee you there's somebody or at least some process that is maximizing that and is monetizing that. Somebody is doing that. By the way, anything that's free, when something is free, you are the prophet. You are the prophet. So social media is free. It's free. It's free. No, no, no. You are the one being sold. You are the one being sold to these other people. I know because I get advertisements and they, it says there are so many uh, Facebook uh, people that are uh, watching right now, would you like to contribute this much money and you can draw this much traffic to your website? Realize it's not free. There's no free lunch. 
There's no free lunch. There is always an expense. And Christ is saying here, in order to stop lusting, you must stop looking. And what we look at fills our life and affects all that we do. Job in Job chapter 31 said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think on a maid? Now this is huge. Obviously, there's some very surface gold right here to just pick up. But just under the surface, there's more. I've made a covenant with mine eyes, and what I look at affects what? What I think. You are never going to get control of what you're thinking about in your heart until you control what you look at. And my friends, your eyes are much easier to control than your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things. And who can know it? We can't know our heart. It'll deceive you, me, and everybody. But our eyes can be controlled. In order to control lust, we must control our eyes. And God is asking us and calling us to honesty, accountability, and these trespasses and iniquities must be overcome. As Job says, there's this outward sin that leads to the inward sin. And that inward sin will lead to more and more outward sin. And it's a horrible cycle that can and must be broken. Now, one of the problems is, is forbidden things are so attractive. And Deborah and I have counseled many, many people that struggle coming together As, as a married couple, and they struggle with it. Why would somebody struggle? I mean, it's legal now. It's in the, in the boundaries. It's a good thing. It's a holy thing. We'll talk more about that next week. Why would somebody struggle? Because sometimes what you atta attach these desires to, and it packages the whole desire, Proverbs 9 and verse number 17 describes what I'm trying to say. Stolen waters are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What I mean is this. There is an adrenaline rush from doing something you're not supposed to do. And so when something is forbidden and you do it, it makes you feel alive. And life is what we're all after. That's why you see people running and exercising and lifting weights. They want life. Taking more classes, they want life. They want to feel alive. Going on vacations, I want to feel alive. Jumping out of perfectly good airplanes, they want to feel alive. And men, I want to feel alive too. Forbidden things make you feel alive. They do. And that plays right into sin. We are sitting ducks with this because there's so many forbidden things. And they're so attractive. Stolen waters are sweet. Why don't you just drink your own water? Because it tastes plain. 
And that's what married couples say. And so in counseling, we try to uncover some of the darkness and say, was there any impurity before marriage? And almost always, yes. See, the devil is offering you something that he has no right to give. And actually, he's going to take the whole thing. And that's what he does. And God is saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And God will give him everything. It's just like the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve is in the garden and everything is theirs. Just like Joseph in Potiphar's house. Oh, but there's one thing, Potiphar's wife, but there's one thing, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Not that one. Eve fell. How did she fall? Adam fell. How did he fall? They stood there and negotiated and contemplated. They were just reeled in. My friends, if you sit there and negotiate and contemplate, the devil will just reel you in. I've been reeled in before. And you've been reeled in before and will be reeled in more and more and more times, even to things that mock us and haunt us and stomp us. But God can keep you clean. God can keep you clean. God kept me clean. God kept Joseph clean. And God can keep you clean. And you might have fallen and you might have uh, soiled yourself and you're embarrassed. But listen, you need to come to God and say, God, I'm yours. I'm presenting my desire before you. And when you do, God will clean you up. And he can use even the most humiliating situations. God can use it for, for his glory and our good. Our good, and God's going to use this for Joseph's good. So don't develop an appetite for the forbidden. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, is food illustration is is quite simple. You can't develop an appetite for these poisons that are marketed as food. You know they're not good. Oh, but they taste good, and you can develop a Oh, a taste for this. Don't do it because you'll start to like it, especially if you eat it during a, a fun time. You go to the park, you're playing, you're having a good time, and you, you do this activity only during the best of times. Oh, what are you thinking? You're associating two things together. You're creating emotions and feelings. Don't do that. Don't do it. Well, I never do that, only during special times. That's the worst time to do it because now you're associating the two things together. Don't do it. And sex is holy and sacred and it should be connected with the most wonderful things, truth and honesty and holiness and, and wonderful things. And God will continue to bless over and over and over for years to come. Um, Psalm 66 and verse number 18. Is everybody still with me? Everybody still with me here? Psalm 66 and verse number 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, it's a strange thing, but a lot of people, after they have fallen into temptation and the present pressure or opportunity eclipses the God they love, and they love God, 
but that pressure just pushed God out. And this was the world. They would have sold everything for it, and they do. And then they think, okay, God, where are you at? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I've actually counseled people that have said, well, we prayed about it and the Lord gave me peace. Listen, the Lord doesn't give you peace on things that are sin. He doesn't. Now, you can make peace with things that are wrong and sinful. You can make peace and you can feel fine about it. You can push God out of your life. And that's what an atheist or an agnostic does. They push him out. But then God doesn't even hear the prayer. So watch out for that. It is, um, it is the goal of the devil to isolate us from God and really from each other. And deception permeates every part of our life. Proverbs 28 and verse number 9. Proverbs 28 and verse number 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. In other words, when you get off the right track and you start to make peace with sin and things that God has declared war on, you, you enter into something where even prayer, and prayer is a holy, wonderful thing. Prayer can be abomination. Prayer can be sin. All right, so what is temptation? How does all this work? And I know this is a heavy message, James 1 and verse 14 says this. James 1, 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own what? Lust and enticed. How is it that Joseph wasn't drawn away of his own lust and enticed? And I say to you, I don't even think it was that big of a temptation. He turned. He didn't let it grow. I think had he waited just another second, he would have been in trouble. Had he waited just another second, he might have fallen, but he didn't. God has promised to provide a way of escape for every temptation. And you can, just as Joseph did, escape the room. You can escape the room. That would be a great title, escape the room. And Joseph did escape the room. And you can get out of trouble. You can overcome temptation. But you have to realize it starts with not lust. It starts with a look that leads to lust. And then that lust draws you away off of the path of Christ. And then verse 15, what happens after that? Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In other words, it starts with a look that leads to lust. That leads to what's the next thing? Sin. And that leads to what? Death. Lust, sin, death. LSD. Boom, boom, boom. But it starts with that look. And you know that this happens in churches. 
with church kids. Matter of fact, it happens to everybody. Because what do I do with what I'm introduced with now, introduced to? Well, I can express it, but we're Christians, so we don't express it. So what do I do? I suppress it. Now, where has lust went in suppression? Sexual suppression. Where did lust go? Help me out. It's right in there. And the more I suppress it, the more it's compressed. And the more it's compressed. And when you compress something, you're, you're going towards an explosion. And many, many Christian kids don't know what to do with this problem. Isaiah 53 in verse 5 brings us to this introduction here. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions are external. A wound is external. He was bruised internal for our iniquities. Iniquity is internal. Bruising and iniquities, that's internal. And Christ died for the lost within that's bruising our essential organs, that's ruining our body as lust is spreading, even if it's not resulting in transgression. I can say being raised in church, lust grew in my heart. I didn't transgress. But I had iniquity. And I was bruising my life. I'm, I praise God I did not transgress and step outside of marriage into sexual expression. I'm speaking as a single man. I would be married. Because Christ was wounded for my transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Our peace, our peace with God. And with his stripes, we are healed. We can be healed. You can be healed. Listen, I'm presenting hope today. You can be healed from transgression, and you can be healed from iniquity. Both the sins on the outside and the sins from within, we can be healed. The secret is found in trusting God daily and walking in the light of his presence. I believe reading the word of God is absolutely essential to overcoming lust. Why? These words? A lot of people read the words and have no victory. But these words can help you to practice the presence of God. And practicing the presence of God leads you to the Messiah that eclipses the presence of evil in any situation and brings you to the healing found in the cross of Christ. G. Campbell Morgan said this, Holy is, holiness is not freedom from temptation, but power to overcome temptation. And God doesn't want us free from every temptation. He wants us to be a conqueror and to overcome. Listen, you can overcome temptation just as Joseph overcame temptation and become someone greater. 
All holiness comes from the presence of God. Every victory over every temptation will come as you get closer and closer to Christ. Are you practicing proximity to God in every situation? Now, I've told you, with sexual development, there is expression. We don't even need to talk about that, really, because we live in in an oversexed society. There is also suppression. Suppression leads to confusion, leads to hypocrisy, leads to debauchery, perversion. As a matter of fact, the psychological society and Sigmund Freud and all these boys have found that most psychological problems come from sexual suppression. Most mass murderers and insane people have some sort of sexual exposure in the past that they didn't know what to do with. So why would God allow his man Joseph to be bullied or badgered or seduced by this woman? Why would that be? Because God has the answer and he can overcome through you and through me. Now, there's one more word, one more word. We talked about suppression and expression. Those are not the way. The right way is sublimination. Sublimination. And it is a word that means to divert or modify. It is a word that is has the meaning to be to redirect to a cultural, higher, or societal acceptable activity. It is to um, change wrong desires into right activities, transferring that energy. And that's what we must do. Now, I want to say this. We live in a time where this is a big problem. Laziness and lust, that's the devil's cocktail. You sip on that cocktail, hang out in front of your laptop, got your phone, I'm just chilling. Oh, man, that's David, the mighty warrior, the man with a heart after God. The Bible says it came to pass when kings go forth to battle that he stayed in his house. David was a warrior a man of activity, but staying at his house and hanging out, he was drawn to Bathsheba, beautiful Bathsheba that looked out over the window, and you know that story that led to lust, that led to murder, and a terrible, terrible situation. You can overcome. One last verse I want to give you. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verses 3 and 4, and Deborah, if you'd play, and we're going to just cut off our our message here will continue next week. How does, how does all this work? First Thessalonians chapter four and verse number three. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Sanctification means holiness, means success. You can be like God. I can be like God. Now, we don't mean that in a wrong way, but holiness, following God's will. That you should abstain from fornication. That's always God's will. Abstain, get away from that. And fornication means more than just transgression, the outward act, but it means 
lust, the inward culprit. Look at verse number four. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that is your body, in sanctification and honor. Now listen, this is just the last few seconds. Sanctification is how you work with God. Honor is how you work with others. And every one of us feel better when you take a look or you get a look. But all of that leads to lust. And it's not good. Lust leads to sin. Sin leads to death. That's not the path to life. The path to life, sanctification and honor. Would you like to live in honor? I know you do. I do. Would you like to be an overcomer? What you need to do is devote your desire to God. You're not going to be able to just look with lust and live a holy life. I can't. Nobody can. It starts right at their beginning. Your focus. What are you focusing on? I, I can't be there. I can't go there. There's certain places. I don't go pass out tracks in certain places. <laughs> I'd maybe get out one or two. <laughs> I'd fall. Let's stand to our feet. We'll continue this next week. Joseph overcame. You can overcome. It all starts with look. What are we going to look at? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Focus on the Lord. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference.